Hey, my name is James Rath. I'm a legally blind filmmaker and YouTuber, and welcome to the See Different Show. This is a place where I like to chat with influential people who value accessibility and they bring awareness or advocate for it within their spaces, whether it's entertainment, business, technology, travel, whatever it might be. I get to speak with some really cool, insightful people, and today's show is no different. I'm talking to Juan Alcazar. He's a legally blind filmmaker and YouTuber, and there aren't many of us, so it's really cool to connect with someone who's like-minded, but also comes from a different background. I get to learn a little bit more about his specific blindness, about his journey, and how he came to find YouTube. And so that's gonna be our show today. I wanna give a little quick update as to why we haven't had a show in a while. So again, thanks for your patience. For those who are new, welcome. And uh, frankly, just had a lot of things happening offline, personal family stuff that I had to attend to. And I've got a really big, exciting project in the works. And I can't talk too much about that, so just stick around. I'll be giving updates on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash James Rath. Also on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I'm everywhere as at James Rath. Of course, you can follow C Different uh, at C Different Co. You can also find all of our links at cdifferent.co or cdifferent.show. Uh, if you want to check out the store and support organizations that we donate to with every purchase of merch, cdifferent.store. Again, Here's our show with Juan Alcazar. We we tried doing this recording back in June, and it was around the time where Apple was doing WWDC. We thought we'd have a fun conversation about our thoughts on WWDC and all that. Uh, things, life, other projects just unfortunately got the best of me, and this would not have released on time for WWDC to the point where it just it felt like had I put something out, it would have just been pretty uh, irrelevant and. So we wanted to do something again, and then of course, timing and, and anyway, uh, we're here, we're back, and uh, I'm so lucky to have Juan on the show to discuss all things filmmaking, accessibility, Apple, because that's something we share in common with our workflow and tools. Uh, Juan, could you share a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and... Um, how accessibility plays a role in your life. Uh, yeah. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me on here, James. Uh, yes, it, it was, we did have a phone conversation back in June. It was just, like you said, it was just uh, the timing wasn't, you know, the greatest, but it was still a good conversation. Uh, so, like James said, my name is Juan Alcazar. My YouTube channel name is JC5 Productions. Uh, I'm a legally blind filmmaker as well. And, uh, I, as far as my visual impairment goes, I was born with uh, retinitis pigmentosa. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a it's a progressive eye condition which slowly degrades the retina over time. So you have all sorts of fun things happen to you, like loss of peripheral vision, night blindness, cataracts, etc., which I do happen to have, and. Uh, I went to film school, I'm a film school graduate, so I went to film school in San Francisco State, and back then I had a lot more, well not a lot more, but enough vision to where I could like maybe read subtitles in the film if it showed any, things like that. But then over time, when I started YouTube, my vision started to uh, go, my RP started to pick up, and eventually I had to, you know, resort to other means to continue to be uh, creative. But, you know, I went from just wanting to 
just be a filmmaker on YouTube because initially I did not want to be known as a blind filmmaker, thinking that that's going to take away all the attention from all the creative stuff. Little did I know that actually that was going to be something that was going to play a huge part in where I am on YouTube now. Um, and yeah, that's a little bit of a summary of of uh, what I've done. As far as, uh, what was the second part of the question about assistive technology? How it's, uh, what was that again? Yeah. Well, um, just how has accessibility played a role like in, in your life? Like what, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, it's played a really big part in my life actually. And it's played a recent part of my life because when I was making films, uh, I really, you know, I use my, the vision that I had, I didn't really think too much about it. And I was definitely in, in that I'm not blind enough or I, I'm not blind phase thinking that I could just get by. But then I learned assistive technology and just the different tools that were involved, the features that were involved. And now it's played such a big part in just my everyday life and even my creative life that I don't think I you know, I can't do without it, and I'm grateful to have it. It's awesome to hear. So, to follow up with that, you mentioned your YouTube channel and that you liked making videos on YouTube. Is there any, like, off the bat, any YouTubers that stand out, like, as to maybe who inspired you to create your YouTube channel or um, any, like, larger creators or even they could be more niche creators that... You just kind of look up to towards like, I know for me it's it's like McKinnon, right? Peter McKinnon, he's, right. he's great. Um, nice stat has always. I, I watched Nice Stat when he had a show on HBO, and then came across the sh uh, video Bike Lanes, and that just like the fact that I saw this dude on HBO and then making similar stuff on YouTube, I thought was so cool. Uh, anyone that kind of stands out to you? Uh, the two you mentioned, Peter McKinnon and uh, Casey Neistat, definitely. Uh, the if I were to basically like single it down to just one channel, if I had to, it would probably be a uh, Wong Fu Productions. Uh, granted, they make very different content than what I make, but the 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 fact that they were around when the you know filmmakers weren't really much of a thing on YouTube, the fact that they were just posting their projects on there. When most of the time people thought that YouTube was a place for prank or cat videos and things like that, it really changed my perspective. And I thought, okay, maybe this is a good venue to post stuff because at first I also dismissed YouTube. I thought it was just, like I said, a place for prank videos or, you know, to be silly. But then I took it seriously and I thought, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. I, I love that you mentioned Wong Fu because they, they were one of my favorite channels growing up. They created like just such original content, um, and I love the message that they they had. Like, they as Asian American filmmakers did not feel very well represented in the industry, so they kind of took it upon themselves to put themselves out there and, and create their own films and, and represent their own communities and provide opportunity for actors in their community. So, they they've always created such cool things. I actually got to be an extra in their first feature film that's on Netflix. Um, and that was a really awesome opportunity. It, it came about when I was like first moving out to LA from high school or after high school. And I, I had connected with like an intern at Wong Fu. Mm -hmm. And then 
I was told that, hey, they're going to be shooting around, like, where I, uh, I lived. I think it was Biola University. And I, uh, I was in Orange County at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was such a... I got to meet, like, Ki Hong Lee, awesome oh, actor. Nice. Uh, I got to spend more time. So uh, Phil and Wes invited me to the, to two of the three of Wong Fu back in, um I don't think Ted's there anymore, but... Um, Phil and Wes invited me to like shadow Phil as he was directing, which was like such a cool opportunity. And I met one of my like one of my long term friends, Kenson. Kenson was uh, his mm. name's Kenson. Uh, Rick Rickonition, I think, is his um, what he goes by online. He may have changed that though as of late. But anyway, he he's a VFX artist, but he was helping Wong Fu. He was doing a lot of freelance stuff with them, and he worked like on set. Um, and Kenson was just really cool. We hung out. We went to E3 together. We went to um, Anime Expo, and um, yeah, just it's really cool opportunity. Anyway, I, I, you mentioned Wong Fu. I don't hear their name too often um, these days, but like they're still making really cool stuff. And yeah, I, I just think it's interesting though because I mean, it, you know, n- neither one of us are would be considered their target audience, but the fact sure. the fact that you know we both have you know, find their storytelling interesting is just, just goes to show you that like, you know, it, it, it goes beyond what you're, you know, what audience you're targeting. It's like, if, if it's, if the stories you're telling are universal, then it's going to find an audience regardless if it's the target audience or not. The thing about human nature is like, we, I think we, we tend to gravitate towards like what we know. Right. But I, I do think there's also, there's something there where like you can create new or, or differing things from what is the norm and you're going to still find a broader audience. It may take a little longer, but there are enough, I think people out there willing to like be open to, to different representation and different um, types of experiences. Like for us, you know, we're creating stories and, and trying to, uh, have people with disabilities involved with that. So, so the, these narratives are coming from disabled people and not just, you know, some, some coined uh, narrative from, from an able body, you know, production staff. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still plenty of able people that are interested in seeing that stuff or are open to it, you know, but anyway, um, we definitely went down a, a hole there. Uh, but I, I love that you, you just... Wong Fu, they're awesome. And to kind of go back, though, a little bit, um, for you and your experience, what tools do you use for filmmaking? At the moment, I'm using a DSLR camera, just a portable audio recorder, just, you know, a shotgun mic, the usual stuff that uh, most most people would, would use. I mean, it's doesn't... It wouldn't surprise many people when I mention that, but the thing is, I am gravitating towards using uh, my cell phone more now than than I have before instead of my camera because just you know just because of the tools that it has to offer. But for now, I'm still shooting with a DSLR. But granted, like I said, it's it's likely going to be more the phone as time goes by. What what team uh, in terms of Sony, uh, Canon, Nikon, Panasonic. 
what team, camera are you using? Uh, team Canon over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, nothing. Nothing like you know flashy or anything like that. The, the T7i yeah. at, at the moment, you know. So I used that one. It was good. I used it for YouTube and stuff. Um, and then I I changed to the Canon M50, the mirrorless, kind of something a little bit mm. smaller. Right. Right. Um, still both very capable cameras. Uh, now I'm in the process of kind of transitioning out of Canon land. Uh, it was a little pun on candy land, but, uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. but I'm kind of going into Sony, Sony's territory a little bit. Uh, I started with the Sony ZV one. It's a very, I think what you could maybe call one of the more accessible video cameras on the market. Um, now, it does give you, like, manual control and stuff, but it is missing things like a viewfinder. It's, it's like, the size of a pretty compact point-and-shoot, but with a flip-out mm -hmm. screen and a uh, fixed lens. But they did recently come out with a different version called the Sony ZV-E10 or Sony ZV-10E or something like that. And this just lets you do interchangeable lenses. And um, it also has a much bigger recording uh, indicator. So the current, like the Sony ZV-1, which one of the things I absolutely love is the red recording dot uh, LED is on the front. So mm -hmm. that I know that I'm recording if I'm recording myself uh, or if no one is operating the camera from behind or maybe they are. And um, at least I as the subject know it's recording. And the mm -hmm. Sony ZV-E10, I think is what's called, that now has a full-on red border that appears over the um, LCD display, which is pretty cool. Nice. So, it, again, if you have a visual impairment, kind of just helps to know that, like, I'm, I'm recording right now. I mean, and any little bit of help works. Well, any little feature that is even semi-accessible is going to be a big help, especially for just any sort of video camera. So, I mean, it's good that there's something that's kind of sort of accessible yeah and on the canon side i used the canon app for recording so i could um you know make adjustments and just check reference on an ipad that things are in focus but the sony i will say is pretty cool because it has a it's like a, a normal stabilizing gimbal not a gimbal but it's, it's like a it's almost like a selfie stick mini tripod mm. but it has a remote built in and that remote has a zoom and zoom out toggle uh, as oh, well okay. as a record button a photo button it has a lock on it so you don't hit things accidentally but it also has an another button that allows you to either set like a a focus as in like uh the sony zv1 has this interesting feature where you can with the press of a button add a bokeh behind you huh. and it, it changes like the the f-stop like on the fly there's like a little shift you'll notice that's automatic so like your lighting or something may change for like a split millisecond but it's a pretty nifty feature if you're trying to go from like especially in a vlogging format go from like hey i'm the subject i'm the focus but hey i also want to show you something so you just tap a button and suddenly the, the blur behind you goes away and um wow that's yeah man, that's impressive it's right there on the remote Right on the remote too, which is kind of neat. And you can, I think you can also reprogram that button, or there's an extra button that you can program. Uh, so if you wanted to change that to be something else, you can. Uh, but 
I kind of want to segue with that into talking about we, we we talked about sort of like the current state of like what is accessibility in cameras right um from camera manufacturers to what is actual technical accessibility and where can you find that with a camera and you mentioned it you, you use your cell phone sometimes smartphone to record uh so oh. I thought that was. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You, you, no. How often do you use that? Uh, at the moment, not too often. Mostly because of the phone that I have. I'm actually in the middle of a transition. I'm going from, a, yeah, it sounds very old school. I have an iPhone XR at the moment, but I'm going to transition to a 13 Pro. So that's a rather big jump. And yeah, the cameras were what uh, got my attention. And yeah, I mean, I'm. I mainly got it because I mean I just don't want to use it as my camera, but it's it's just I, I I've said it before, but I I call the iPhone the accessibility Swiss Army knife, and but still I mean I, I really want to be able to just use something like a, a cell phone because it has has all those accessibility features built into it, and. Uh, not only that, but I mean, just the the whole setup process. It's like I don't have to switch lenses. I don't have to, you know, do several things that would require. If I'm using a DSLR, I just think the, you know, when you have limited vision like I do, you have to make that extra effort to, you know, to try to see what your focus is like. But when you have something like voiceover helping you out with some of these features, then it uh, it's a big help. And it is really, in my case, it it keeps me from getting any migraines later. Yeah, I you put it very, very nicely about like, it, it's an accessibility Swiss Army knife. I love that because I just, I, when you said that, I thought about for a moment, an old, like, G4, G3 iMac, right, with an iSight camera, mm. right? And, like, that had voiceover, that had uh, Zoom accessibility baked into it. And theoretically, it's, like, that's sort of the grandfather of an iPhone in the sense where it's, like, Mac OS with accessibility and then, like, a camera, right? Um, now, obviously, you wouldn't use a old-school webcam as a <laughs> um, filming camera, but when you look at it, like... An iPhone is just this insanely advanced, um, any smartphone really, computer that's, that's pocketable. Uh, I think Apple has the advantage with their own chips. Um, when you look at the A15, A14 chips, um, it allows them to sort of optimize things to their, their liking. They don't have to sort of be boxed in by what a chip manufacturer like Qualcomm or Intel uh, or Samsung want to allow the processor to do, right? So they have that sort of advantage. And I mean, what we're seeing from from that is like an A14 is just you stretch that out a little bit, give it some more um, cores and, and wiggle room and RAM. You got an M1 right there. Like that's That's right. like how powerful these smartphones are getting and then when you think about well it's got a whole camera system and housing a raid um on the back well now it's just a really powerful camera uh now sure these sensors are really small and what i'd be totally interested in seeing like even if it's like a prototype and an apple dslr mirrorless camera um with their software and with their chip 
but with a huge sensor. Like I, I'm. Uh, that's a pipe dream. <laughs> that's not a market. I don't think they're really interested in going. Uh, mobile photography seems to be their their bread and butter. But yeah, no, the the, the iPhone is really just. It's an accessible camera. It, it checks off the computer technical accessibility settings and then some. And these sensors on, on these tiny camera housings are they're getting more powerful. And we see that with the iPhone 13. Um, and, and, you know, I, I recently did my first impressions and, and unboxing video, and I shot it on an iPhone 13 using this new cinematic mode. And it's cool. It's not perfect. It feels very alpha. Um, not even quite beta yet, and that's because it's like it's locked in at 1080p 30 frames. Um, but overall, like, what what are your thoughts around this? These improvements to the iPhone 13 camera. You said this is what's compelled you to go from a 10R, which, by the way, isn't not too old school. I'm seeing people upgrade from a six and success. So I think you're you're in the clear. This is this is true. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I. Someone I knew said that they were upgrading from a six or six S, and I was like, "Well, the jump's going to be light years for you, so uh, just be ready yeah. for that." Um, no, I, I think, like you said, cinematic mode. I mean, that that was impressive. I mean, just sure, like you said, it's it's not going to be perfect because I mean, I guess we have to think of it as a a first gen product, you know, or a first gen feature. But to think that it's going to improve over time with with software updates, with future phones, it's just it's it's going to be impressive. I mean, I I, I really do think that uh, just the fact that all these tools are available for a cell phone. I mean, w when you think about it, uh, it's like never did I never would I have thought that the same tool that I use to help me with just you know, to help me see things as far as like to help me with my in my blindness journey, that they were going to be very similar tools that now I'm going to be using to continue my filmmaking and creative journey. Just if, for it to be the exact same tool, though, that that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I I think today um, I kind of reflect a bit on this device. It's like our, our all in one, right? baked in with all this accessibility because it, it is um, 10 years since at the time that we're recording this 10 years since Steve Jobs had passed and I know at the time like I was only really familiar with the Mac uh, iPod Touch and an iPod um, Classic as well but I had gotten a taste at the culture and priorities of Apple around that time um, just based on the experience I, I had and that he saw that this this was the next device like this was going to be everything right from your entertainment to how you browse the web on the go to how you stay connected and communicate with, with people um, and then the app store of course just opening up the door for startups and uh, new business ventures like uber lyft and delivery services and beyond that um apps like filmic pro they give you like full amazing um manual control with your video uh, take, uh is it double take i think filmic pro is like another companion app i forget what it was called i forget the name 
it might be double take or something but anyway it's like it's this really cool app that came out a couple um as the processors were getting better in these phones it lets you simultaneously record with multiple cameras on the iphone uh, and you can record with an ultra wide with the telephoto with the front facing with the normal uh all in one uh, and it gets separate tracks for all of them and the fact that like this device is that as powerful as that and it can sit there and tell me everything that I'm touching and, and doing, and I can zoom in up to like 400 times into the screen. It's incredible. I mean, it, it's true though. I mean, it's like going back to what you were saying though, from you know back when, you know, 10 years ago. Um, it's it's interesting how much different Apple was just back then. I mean. You know, mostly I was using a Mac and Final Cut Pro, and yes, I just gotten my first iPhone, which was the four. Uh, but you know, it, it, I guess I guess it's safe to say that Apple products have been part of helping me in my in my filmmaking journey because uh, I, I started I started with iMovie actually, so it's it's been it's just been part of like my creative process, and now to move that all the way to the iPhone, that's, it goes to show you though, that uh, they're not just tools for, for creating things, but they're also tools to, you know, help, you know, both of us just live our daily lives. Uh, with the iPhone 13 camera improvements, is there anything that kind of stood out to you beyond cinematic mode that kind of caught your eye or ear, pun intended? <laughs> uh, well, I tend to be really picky with, uh, yeah, even though I can't really see too well, just the fact that it has better low light performance because I, I'm, I really like filming in low light because I like that contrast, but also because of my vision, I have a little more difficulty shooting in natural daylight. So I have to do most of my filming indoors or it has to be very contrasty. And I just like that, uh, you know that bokeh effect but even though i might not you know cinematic mode doesn't currently work for 24p i'm i could still probably use the the telephoto lens that it has to probably get you know a narrow depth of field as well so i mean it's just it's just the optic improvements really and to me that's that's what's well caught my eye or what i what i can see with it <laughs> um one of the Things I noticed, especially when I was testing the cameras out, because I, I went out with like the mini and the, and the pro, and I wanted to just, yeah, I, I have a video that I'm working on right now. It's probably going to be up um, shortly after this podcast, but going over like my impressions of the camera itself, and one of the things I, I noticed from sort of a user point of view was just how better viewing your your viewfinder your footage in harsh sunlight or in, is on the 13 because i brought a 12 along with a, a 13 and side by side like the 13 pro the l brightness and the nits played a huge role in actually allowing me to uh, review that footage even with my visual impairment in in direct sunlight and it's 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 night and day when you look at them side by side. I think it's one of the more like underrated features, but it definitely helps in that workflow when you're you're shooting outside. Oh, also, I'm, I just remembered to think that you know a device like that can shoot in ProRes. It's just like 
this is the this that's the format that I <laughs> that I use, you know, in Final yeah. Cut all the time. So I'm like, wow. So for that to be just coming out of the phone, that's impressive. But that's another reason why I'm like, okay, and I, I might have to get the, the, the bigger storage space uh, 13 Pro as well, because uh, 128 gigs yep. ain't going to cut it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's an important thing to know for anyone who is interested in getting uh, an iPhone 13 for, you know, possibly shooting ProRes, maybe something you'd like to try in the future. Uh, you have to have the Pro or Pro Max with at least 256 gigs of storage. Uh, whether that's a limitation by Apple just because they're for a user experience they don't want you to like fill that up so quickly because ProRes will do that or and this sometimes happens they'll use different hard drives or, or like flash memory sticks in these devices so sometimes it'll be sl slightly slower um sticks of memory or storage on the 128 version versus the 256 for like cost and it's like it won't it's not something you notice like day-to-day -day use but when it comes to like recording ProRes that could be why it, you know it's limited but it could also just be Apple wanting to control that experience for the user <laughs> and not complain about hey we, we capped it at 128 gigs as your entry level now it's not 64 <laughs> please don't complain that you don't have enough storage so don't <laughs> shoot ProRes you know um, now yeah ProRes I think is going to be cool now question for you mm -hmm. you said you 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 export, do you upload ProRes to YouTube or do you export like an H.264 version? Um, I I export an H.264 version for the time being just because it's, I, I it's just for the fact that, you know, I don't want to sit there for too long, especially if it's a longer <laughs> video to, to upload because yeah. I'm like, this has happened to me before. It's like I'm uploading, and next thing you know, the you know connection gets lost, or it's like the upload just stops, and it's like it's it's the worst when it's like at ninety percent, and then it's like, crap, <laughs> gotta do it over. I, I I try to do my best to avoid situations like that, but I mean, eventually I'll you know I'll consider up you know uploading at a better quality. Well, no, I was just curious because I I mean YouTube's gonna compress it either way. True. So. And maybe that's a question for other veteran YouTubers who like experiment with these different codecs is like, is it worth X? Like, I don't know. I mean, despite us being filmmakers, I feel like like that's something that um, isn't common knowledge. So like maybe sh we should be taking the time to do ProRes. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. And that's why we're doing H.264 and it's just better. Um, you know, the quality just doesn't degrade because YouTube already recognizes it. As H.264. Yeah, yeah. So somebody with better vision, with better vision, let us know about <laughs> that just in case because uh, we'll, we'll take your word. Uh, trust me. My life's in 144p anyway, so. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, one other note about the iPhone 13 camera I, I just wanted to sort of uh, mention because I, I, it's it was a big deal, I think, almost with the 12 for some other applications, but it does play with the uh, camera app as well and that's the lidar sensor lidar being this um I, what's i don't know what it stands for but it's it's in a way shooting an invisible light or beam into the room or environment around you up to a certain amount of feet uh to better get a more accurate measurement of the depth uh in front of the the phone and, and camera now that plays into the camera app for autofocus which is a 
saving grace for me when I'm shooting, especially myself. Um, I love autofocus when I'm vlogging or yeah, because it's it's like it's a trust with my camera. But I know Canon has amazing autofocus when it's like the dual pixel autofocus. Sony has some pretty, especially with the, the ZV-1 from my experience, some incredible uh, autofocus. Uh, even to the point where there's a there's a feature called product showcase, where if I put a product like here's my AirPods, if I put it up to the camera, um, I could still be in the frame. A lot of cameras need your face to not be in it, but it'll prioritize the product mm. and make sure that, hey, that's going to go in focus. Person's face, it can be shown, but it's going to be blurry um, really quick. And you just put it away and you're back on your face. It's really fast. Anyway, the iPhone has also fantastic autofocus. A lot of smartphones these days do. And the LiDAR helps with that performance in low light. So you mentioned low light, reminded me of the LiDAR. I'm like, that's another weird just quirky thing that the iPhone has, LiDAR, um, for AR apps that a lot of other phones just don't have. And it does help to, to get better uh, focus for, for low light performances. And, and I'm sure it's used in other ways too. And I wouldn't be surprised at least, maybe it's not used quite yet, but it, if it would be used for cinematic mode in the future to, to help with that uh, depth and, and the focus racking. Um, and... Yeah, sir. Go ahead. No, no. I, I think uh, I think they would definitely help. I mean, it'd be nice if they they uh, you know keep experimenting with that and actually implement it because yeah, for folks like us, it would I think it would be a big help. You know, because I mean, you know, just just the fact that there's lidar in the phone in the first place, it's mm-hmm. that's impressive on its own. But if it if it assists with with the focus, you know, I mean, not just in portrait mode and when it's in, you know, in, in uh, camera mode for photos, but also for video mode, that'd be, that'd be great. I think LiDAR stands for like detection and ranging. What I was, one thing I was going to mention with LiDAR, um, it, it has pretty niche applications right now. Uh, that's why it's only on the pro models. But one of the cool things as blind people is in the magnify app, which is now just a standard app uh, on the iPhone you can use that for a thing called people detection. Now, I think it's more experimental. Um, it's not It's not always the most practical. I mean, I do it sometimes, just if I'm on like using an app like Be My Eyes or something, but it's not always the most practical to hold up your phone and be like walking around the grocery store or something, because um, then it just looks like you're filming other people, even, even <laughs> if you're blind maybe. Um, and in a way, you kind of are capturing what's in front of you. But... People detection can tell you how many feet away and how many people are in the view of the camera, uh, which I think is just really, really neat. I think LiDAR definitely would be better in a more hands-free format um, or device. We'll see. Time will tell uh, right. with, with that. Uh, but in the meantime, it's like, it is cool. It's there. It has some AR, uh, augmented reality use cases. Um, and, and the last note I kind of want to make about cinematic mode, I know we touched on it briefly, and some people may not be completely familiar with what it is. There's, it's a few things. It's a brand new, it's going to be next to the video mode in between, I think, slow-mo and video. And I've had some time to play with it, made a whole video just trying to like, hey, I'm in a pandemic. Um, I don't have anyone available to come over and shoot this video for me, but I want to get something out about the new iPhone and my, my impressions. So I shot it in without just because I, I wanted to use that as sort of an experiment of like how practical how noticeable is cinematic mode 
And it's kind of like a portrait mode for movies, but it also has some cool focus racking features where if you have two subjects in frame and someone turns their head, it, it uses sort of that facial detection to then know, okay, this person is looking towards or looking away, let's put the other person in focus. And the other nice thing is that is, you can, you can override that and, and go into like a manual mode. So you can actually change that both in post and you can change it in, in real time. So Yeah, I think that's the nicest part actually about it, that you can you can apply it later on in post because it's I mean, especially for you know, someone like myself, I might not get that folk well, I mean I might want to get something out of focus behind me later on, but mm -hmm. just in case, I might just want to film the whole shot in focus just to be on the safe side, but then I can, you know, blur it up and post uh, later on. The other thing I will note with it is, as I said before, it, it is, it feels early, right? Um, it's a little bit of an early feature, um, kind of alpha feeling, but like, it's, it is really cool and it's fun to experiment. It makes shooting home videos, I think, a lot more fun. Um, someone put that, I, I, I can't remember who, whose video it was on the cinematic mode, but someone who was in, in, hopefully if I can remember, I'll put it in like the description or credits here. Someone was filming a little backyard video with their nephew or son, and they were just filming a cinematic mode of them, like going down a slide. And it just looked so cool that like, this is what home movies can look like now. I thought that was really neat. Now, again, it doesn't look perfect and even I, and I'm sure Juan can notice from, like, when we analyze it, uh, so maybe, like, not at first, but, like, when we actually look at the footage back and we analyze it, and zoom in, of course, we can tell that there is softening around subjects, right? This artificial bokeh, so it's not like, the, the phone's sensors are too small to actually, like, create proper depth of field. So it's it's artificial, it's, it's um, using AI to do that, machine learning. So, with that, it will, just like a normal portrait mode, which has gotten better, but like certain things, like maybe if you had like loop earrings or a hat or different kinds of hairstyles or a lot of hair, it may look very soft or, or a weird sort of blend between being out of focus and in focus. Glasses as well. I saw an example, I think it maybe was Film Riot that did a video on it. Another great YouTube channel that uh, I've watched since middle school, probably. And um, Ryan Connolly was discussing, I think it was him, that when he had, one of his subjects had, like, white frame glasses or clear frame glasses, it didn't know what to do with the um, the side of the mm. frame. So it just started blurring half of his eye. <laughs> um, mm. So, I, you know, that's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I think it, it can be... A really cool feature and an actual practical filmmaking feature if you only are shooting on an iPhone with a mix of shooting with the normal movie mode. Um, you have to make sure you have good lighting or a lot of lighting. It has to be sort of controlled. Like you need to really test it and, and have it in a controlled environment. But I do think there are some practical shots and scenes that you could use cinematic mode with today you're limited to 30 frames 1080p right now um i'm personally okay with that because i shoot a lot of stuff doing documentary work and vlog style stuff in 30 frames these days i have no issue with 24 but like 
that's just me. And um, yeah, I'm gonna try and make some use of it. No, and and like you said though, I mean it's 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 good to use. You know, if you have a use for it in 30 frames and uh, you know at 30p. I mean, it, it's it, it can definitely be used right now. I mean, it, it is a bit of a you know bummer that it's not available for 24 at the moment. But like I said before, a few software up, <laughs> upgrades later, and a few you know yeah. maybe another another phone later, we might get that. And but here's the thing though. I mean, from what I've learned, especially I think what both me and James have learned is that uh, we can take something that is a maybe a supposed limitation and try to work with it and maybe what some folks can do with that cinematic mode it you know granted those uh software limitations maybe someone can use it as maybe like a for stylistic purposes to kind of give it you know to do something instead of seeing that as a detriment try to you know use it to your advantage and try to do something stylistic with it instead yeah no, absolutely. Especially for, I think, vlog style content. Um, another note to make, the cinematic mode works with the front facing camera too. And it's kind of an interesting uh, result. I think it can be good at times and, and iffy. But especially if you're maybe just trying to shoot styled like or, or um, content where you can reference the front facing camera with the viewfinder and your, like your self-shooting content, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's... um. A sit down commentary video for YouTube, uh, or you want to just yeah be able to to know what's happening and making sure it looks okay. The other cool thing if you have a pro which have the telephoto lens, whereas the regular 13 model just has an ultra wide and a wide. Uh, with the telephoto, you can actually go two or three times zoom in on cinematic mode. So again, more dynamic shots that you can kind of get with that. I played a lot with that with um, at the dog park, and and I'll be demonstrating that in my in my video. So I didn't want to get too close to the dogs because I wanted them to play and like ignore me. So I used the times three uh, optical zoom to get some cinematic uh, shots of them. And that aside, also one note is if you are really looking to get a 13 for the cameras, I probably highly recommend you get a 13 Pro because the cameras, all three, are just better, bigger sensors, um, let more light in. They're just more refined and polished on the Pro as opposed to the regular 13. But, yeah. How is that three times uh, zoom anyway, uh, the optical zoom? How nice. I like how it personally. Okay. okay. It, yeah, I, it's... It definitely goes crops more in. In fact, I, I'm technically using that right now. So if people are watching the video version of this, if I ever end up getting around to releasing them, uh, on um, the See uh, Different Show YouTube channel at some point here, I'm I'm using that for this. I normally use a DSLR for my webcam for recording these podcasts, but I'm using an iPhone 13 Pro right now, and it's. It's using the three times zoom. On that topic, we, we've really talked pretty extensively about the iPhone 13 cameras, use cases. Do you think an iPhone or a smartphone in general could replace a dedicated video camera for people wanting to create content, whether it's for YouTube, maybe for educational purposes, their business, or they just want to start a YouTube career or, or you know, content creation career? 
I think at this point, I mean, it, it depends on the project, but I think at this point, it's safe for me to say that yes, for a lot of projects, a lot of smaller projects, or even even some mid-sized projects that something like a smartphone, an iPhone, would could definitely be someone's A camera, or even you know, if if someone's shooting a higher end uh, film, maybe they can use the iPhone as a B camera, but. Uh, no, I, I think it's totally doable. I mean, it's especially like like we've just said with the optics, the, the way the optics are working on the, on the 13s now. I really think that it's it's totally possible to have projects uh, like this. And I, I think that even in, in the in the keynote presentation that they had, where they you know were revealing the iPhone 13s, um, I think that. Like they said, uh, somewhere somewhere in there, I, f I forget when, but it could like just mark the beginning of a whole new batch of creators, or uh, maybe a whole new like I don't want to sound too you know hokey saying this, but you know a whole new film <laughs> language, you know it's a style. There you go, a whole new style of filming videos or creating videos, which we haven't seen before. I mean going all the way back to the beginning like with like you you were mentioning Casey Neistat that's uh before that the the vlog video was very different until he basically made it his own and then everybody just you know decided to make it just like that I, I'm thinking that something similar could happen with uh you know smartphone filmmaking and it could be a style of its own it can be not a genre of its own but it's you know it could just uh be what's the tool that's most familiar with creators from from here on out i think um it really is like i mean i remember when i was younger i had played with my parents home camcorder which had the tapes and got to rewind and many vhs's that you put into like a bigger vhs and stick it into the vhs <laughs> a lot of people don't know what that is these days um which is weird to think, and uh, I, I feel I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> that aside, though, like, and then I got like really mini VHS um, that could then convert to digital through Windows Movie Maker. So that was my first actual camcorder, and I think it was a Panasonic camera. And eventually, though, I got after that like an actual shot 480p. It was an HD at the time, but it was an another camcorder that shot it on a 32 gig hard drive like it was just built into the camera and from there dslr <laughs> so i think this next generation like their smartphone is just just their consumer camera but it's it's really cool because it's got a built-in uh editor or or honestly it's got all these options for editors you, you have imovie at your disposal but then hey if you want to check out what the app store has to offer uh, look at an iPad, for instance. LumaFusion is a brilliant piece of um, iPad app. <laughs> brilliant piece of mobile, like, tablet software that, that's like, hey, if you if you want something equivalent to, like, Final Cut, but on an iPad, closest thing you'll probably get is LumaFusion. Uh, there's other ones out there, too. Uh, I'm not too well-versed and familiar with, with editing on an iPad, because Final Cut and desktop has always been sort of my, my home, but I wouldn't be like opposed to it or i bought LumaFusion some time ago 
and I'm willing to like stick an iPad with a USB-C port into a monitor and give it a try for a video and just see like, can I edit uh, an iPhone video? Like shooting a video entirely on an iPhone and then editing it on an iPad, like what an interesting workflow that could be. Uh, but a lot of people do that and, and that's how they take off with their businesses. Um, so no, I think it's it's totally possible and feasible and hey, budget wise, like when you think about it, yeah, an iPhone can be quite expensive. And if you get better quality out of a DSLR, but that's all you have to spend and you don't already have a computer, you can edit that iPhone video or hey, even an iPad Pro maybe. Um, if you had to choose just one, get one that you can do the full writing, editing, uh, post, upload and repeat. Right. Th th that'd be an interesting workflow though especially for travel like just you know filming on an iphone editing on the ipad that that would mm -hmm. just make things so flexible i mean although like we've mentioned before with the with the storage sizes you better make sure you get a pretty hefty uh ipad with uh, lots yeah. of storage space or <laughs> you know see if you can find some way of storing footage because trust me uh yeah one thing that can happen especially with folks like us we might shoot a little a little bit too much. too much and next thing you know we're like what why is my hard drive oh that's why it's it's so full <laughs> <laughs> well so with the ipad though it's kind of cool because you could ipad air or pro um pro especially now with the thunderbolt 3 or thunderbolt 4 uh, thunderbolt it's got thunderbolt and a usb-c <laughs> port um and i don't know if it's technically usb 4 now i <laughs> I'm like we'll, we'll USB out. has gotten I, they try to simplify it and now it's just a mess anyway it can do Thunderbolt speeds and protocol and Thunderbolt in the form of USB-C uh, that allows you to connect to really fast solid state drives on an iPad to offload footage um, to move things through the files app now it's not most perfect experience like on a Mac where you have full directory root access to your files and stuff on the device but it's a very like catered experience so that you can maybe move files and your video files off the ipad to an external hard drive so juan as a filmmaker who benefits and values accessibility no very few of us <laughs> what is your dream camera look like well that uh that Apple camera you mentioned prior sounds pretty good, but since that's a pipe dream, uh, well, we, we could dream about that one, but since... Hey, I mean, go for it. Why not? <laughs> I mean, it, uh, I just think that'd be pretty cool. Like, I mean, think about it. A, a Panavision-sized Apple camera. <laughs> when you're done filming, it's like, yeah, it has Final Cut built into it, so it can be my editing workstation. But uh, anyway, that's <laughs> that's not my answer. Well, Apple, used, Apple did used to make cameras in the 90s before Jobs came back, and then that right. was cut if i had to be a little more more uh, realistic now though uh it would be i guess something kind of like a dslr or something like a black magic camera but with a lot of the features that we've talked about that are built into into the iphone that are there like maybe you know some screen reader compatibility as well well a screen reader built into it tactile buttons things like that just just the software that's in it because i don't know i mean maybe it's me but um i don't know it just feels like camera manufacturers should or are a little bit behind as far as like uh, the technology 
as far as accessibility is concerned, because I, I think a lot of manufacturers do forget that, yes, there might not be a lot of us, but there's folks who are visually impaired or even totally blind who like taking pictures or even filming videos. And I, I just think that uh, that uh, cameras like these should be uh, just, they should have accessibility, some sort of accessibility built into them just from the ground up because hey some of us want to use these cameras so i totally agree with that um that's been kind of a wish for me like just canon sony um panasonic like one (laughs) try to create more (laughs) modern uis maybe get better processors in these cameras that can handle it then uh, or Mm -hmm. optimize but yeah then bacon even if it's basic accessibility from the start, like a zoom functionality into the OS, not into the lens, um, a screen reader, right? Or at least text to speech or something. Because the way I see it is you get people heavily invested into your brand. Um, and when you look at vision loss, especially with aging, people like to hold on to their cameras. I know people still rocking like a Canon 5D Mark II, Mark III, or, you know, and it's because they're, they're good, especially for photographers who are simply just, you know, doing photos. They have all their lenses. Um, they can work with the same body for years. And people aren't guaranteed their vision forever. Um, as, you know, I know uh, from... Yes, I was born legally blind. There was two, three years where I could actually have some death perception and I saw better and I was on track to possibly drive. Um, but the results from that surgery disappeared and I can't really get that again. Um, so I, I lost vision again. From your experience, um, you're, you have a progressive uh, visual impairment that's just, it, it's, you're losing sight as you age. And, and a lot of people are going to experience something like that. Um, it may take until they're a lot older, but people's passion for photography and videography doesn't just doesn't just go away just because you lose some sight. So I think if they are willing to accommodate and, and um, add some accessibility with that in mind, um, yeah, no, just because people who have visual impairments already like to get into photography, why not? Um, it just makes sense. Like, what a return on their investment they can make. And, I mean, I know companies don't always look at uh, the market for people with disabilities. But, man, it, it, it's a $1.6 trillion market and growing. I mean, that's a statistic from 2019. Uh, and that's that's still growing. So. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're a company and you, and you make your products accessible, you are going to have a very loyal fan base. And uh, they will come back. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, and Apple, you know what? If you're listening, someone at Apple, uh, make a make a mirrorless camera. <laughs> make something with like uh, iPhone software, and then uh, just a really great, amazing fixed lens. Maybe maybe interchangeable lenses. Maybe you work with Canon or you know get some EF. I don't know. But um, I'm all for also it. that aside. Maybe a good start too would be the camera app itself is kind of getting bloated. Uh, that's how I feel with all these new features being added to it, like night mode and and photographic styles. Apple should also maybe do like a pro mode 
into the like normal oh. camera app, which then just by tapping on pro mode, it suddenly just gives you a lot more functionality, change your frame rate, change your stuff like that. Because my, my mom and dad, they love shooting stuff on their phone, <clears throat> but they don't need to be seeing all these features that are starting to get overwhelming for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does... It does look overwhelming for someone who's not used to it. I, I like that pro mode idea because, I mean, if we want to get into more nitty-gritty stuff, like if we just want to go yeah. into manual mode on a few things, then, yeah, I mean, that I would love that, you know. And, but I do think it should have its own dedicated uh, section. But, yeah, I, I'm all for your idea for, uh, yeah, Apple, come on. Uh, it, it'd be great if you guys uh, made something like that. But, uh, you know. Y'all made the HomePod. As yes. broad as you thought that audience was going to be. You can make more niche products, Apple. <laughs> uh, another another question for you. What is your dream project? So you talked about your dream your dream camera, but what, what's a project that you would just love to do sometime and, and could be down the line, could be tomorrow? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. And, 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 and I've thought about it ever since you asked me, and it's a tough one right now. I guess it would be something to... This is kind of a just a, a loose answer, but something that's always bugged me about uh, how disability is portrayed in mainstream media or just in the media in general is that a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times it's not represented well or it's just misrepresented. So if I were, I would love to make something that just contributes in doing away with a lot of those misconceptions i don't know what project exactly but i would love to just do something because for me for my condition just blindness in general it, it can be so misrepresented that a lot of people just don't realize that there's many factors to it that yes you can have a, a certain amount of vision and still be considered blind it, it, i would just like to do something that you know, tackles those misconceptions because it's unfortunately most of the education people get about disability is from what they see in movies and TV shows, and a lot of times those are uh, not the most accurate things. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. That I I hope you get to. I don't know what your preferred role is on on something like that. Um, if it's a bigger project or, or something a little bit more scaled down but like hope you get to direct or produce both um something along those lines that'd be amazing yeah yeah i mean home i'm open hoping so too <laughs> yeah no i'm sure it's gonna happen and and honestly this industry is opening up when i say this industry i'm not just youtube but like the uh, the heads in hollywood are opening up to disability there's a lot of uh advocacy groups rudiman family foundation there's respectability there's, there's all these like advocacy groups that are really trying to consult but also just change the the normal casting and, and hiring practices for crew and writing rooms so it's it's a change that is uh, long overdue but it's happening we're, we're seeing it so right right in a way it's exciting to be part of that uh, process because i mean we, we may not you know we're at the beginning of it but it's kind of nice to be part of like that Pine, yeah, that pioneering movement for it. So yeah. I think that's awesome. So with that said, what's a project that you've recently finished or you're currently in the process of that uh, you're just very proud of and, and wanting to share? 
Uh, well, one of them actually I finished recently. It's it's called uh, What Accessibility Means to Me, and it it discusses both just how it, it's from the perspective of just saying that for most people, technology is something that most people take for granted. But when you're disabled, it means a heck of a lot more. It means being able to do everyday things that, well, most people would take for granted. But, I mean, I wouldn't be doing... Well, I mean, I would be doing a lot of the stuff that I do, but it just makes it a lot easier for me to do. And I tackle both just how it helps me out in my daily life, in my creative life, and just everything in between. And... I wasn't I was nervous about putting that one out because I wasn't sure if that was uh, going to uh, you know resonate <laughs> with with people because I, I just thought okay I'll do this for myself and I didn't like the audio quality for for my voiceover recording but you know what I just put it out there and all of a sudden the feedback that I've gotten from it so far has been really it's resonated with with those who've seen it and it was uh, I was really surprised by it and if i had a second video uh it, it was this collab i did a couple of years ago with i think uh, like 10 other youtubers and uh, i wanted to talk about how blindness is a spectrum but the thing is i could have talked about it on my own just sitting in front of a camera but i thought well maybe i can i can have other folks who have visual impairments talk about theirs just to show them discussing how what they can see or what they can't see and i think that was a much better idea because it, it that resonated with so many people as well and i i just like the feedback that i've gotten from that one and uh it, it truly does show that blindness is a spectrum and no two blind people see the same even if they have the same condition yeah no and it was both those videos are awesome and highly recommend check out Juan's channel. Um, do you plan to do any iPhone uh, coverage when you get your 13 in hand? Uh, I'm, I'm very tempted to. I'm very tempted to, like, uh, you know, just maybe do a few camera tests or maybe even shoot a project. Or I, maybe I'll, I might do a project just shot on iPhone, but I might do a secondary video just mentioning, like, how I, you know, the process I went to, I went through in filming it or you know, with maybe with voiceover or just, I don't know. I mean, I want to, I want to be able to do something that shows an audience, like how someone who uses a screen reader shoots and edits a video, because for me, it's just like, okay, well, I'm editing a video, struggling with it at times, but I just think for, <laughs> for others, it might just be something that's really fascinating or interesting. So yeah, yeah. I, I might do something like that. That'd be awesome. Juan is about to hit 5K on YouTube subscribers, and if you're not subscribed already, you should do so. Hopefully by the time this is already out, maybe that's already happened. Anyway, check out Juan's channel. He's got an amazing back catalog of really great videos that are covering tutorials, the experience of living with a spectrum of blindness and, and collaborations with the community. Definitely a quality channel to check out. Oh, thanks. Juan, thanks for that. <laughs> of course. My, no, my pleasure. You can follow me on social media. My YouTube is youtube.com slash JC5 Productions. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at JC12209. That used to be the name of my channel, 12209. It, I, I quickly changed that because I found that it was a terrible name. 
it's hard to say it too uh and on facebook even though i don't really use facebook too much it's uh facebook.com slash jc5 productions thank you juan for being a part of this and thank you to you for listening and if you want to follow juan be sure to do so his links will be in the anchor in description you can also find the links for see different and myself there as well and also be sure to just check out cdifferent.co and cdifferent.store if you want to support what we're doing with this so thank you and i hope that you could see different today i'll hear you next time bye